Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This week's episode is brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. I told my family that I would go as a Roman and then obviously it got delayed and we got married in 2019. So then like I've been holding on to my last name for like two and a half years. Now my husband's like, you're a traitor. Like you're just never Now at this point, this is intentional. You're full of shit. You're not, there's no way you're changing your name. And you're like, no, I, I, this is who I'm My ID says I'm Lisa Samuel now, but my passport still says I'm Lisa Roman. That's just the only way I was able to get away with it. I was just going to say to you how, because that was my next thing was I was typing out your name and I always... It's so ironic because you're a rower. So every time I go to type it, I think row and I always put a W and then I feel like a knob. But I'm like, that's just my subconscious. It's yeah. fine. And it's because <laughs> and it's because you're an Olympic rower. You're yeah. no wait. No, it gets better. You're a gold medal winning Olympic rower from Team Canada. I am. Yeah. I yeah. Am. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. You should it's still feel weird that. to feel that, but it is. Yeah, it's true. Is it weird still? Yeah, it's still weird. I don't know why though. I mean, it's been a minute. Yeah, I think it's weird now that the Olympics is on because I'm like witnessing like what I went through, and then when I see people win medals, I get like emotional because I know what that feels like, and I'm like, oh yeah, like you won an Olympic medal. <laughs> I get emotional, and I've never even won an Olympic medal. So what are you talking about? I watch everyone stand up there, and I see the flag go over them, and I'm like, huh, huh, huh. <laughs> It's like a, the same, the similar response that you get in the military. I get teary-eyed. You get the similar response on Remembrance Day for me, yeah. the flags, like the, the national anthem. I, yeah. I can respect the response. I, yeah. I can respect the, the shit out of the response. So I, that's fine. Um, but I got to, I got to hold your medal. You want to hold it again? I'm going to hold it again after this. I'm like, you have it in your bag right now? I'm going to hold it again in the second. <laughs> so you and I met. Oh my God. And I love it so much. It's so pretty. Okay. <laughs> You guys are missing out on the video of this, but I'll I'll take um, a photo and video post it for you. But this thing is like, um, how much do they weigh exactly? Do you know? 2.2 kilos, I think. Right. 500 grams or something? Something like that. I don't know. It's I don't fi- remember. It's, 500 grams, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's a weapon. It is. And I love that they actually etched the bottom of what the, the sport was. I, I didn't notice that when I saw it the first time. I was too enamored with the fact that I was holding a gold medal. Yeah. It's intense. And then I did my own etching on it from dropping it. <laughs> oh, did you? Well, yeah, but that's fine. I mean, if anyone's going to drop it, it better be you. <laughs> if it's not you, then that person deserves to be punched in the face. <laughs> I remember holding it the first time and I was like, huh, 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 don't, huh, don't drop, 
don't drop it. Don't be the person. I'm going to gently set it down in the middle here. So it's just there. So it's just there. So it's just staring. It's just there in the room. It's there. And it's like, (laughs) hi, I'm here for it. Um, So I met you because you came to uh, a friend of mine. We, uh, James, uh, he's actually episode number one. He is the Royal Marine. But we do this event together called the 24-Hour Rowathon on Remembrance Day. And for the Americans, we have that. It's called Veterans Day. It's the same day. It's November 11th just in case you forgot. Um, We have that, and we do this where we row from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. because it feels like a smart choice. And we do it this year and the years past. We've done it on behalf of Honor House, which many of you know is a charity that's very dear, uh, near and dear to Brass and Unity, but also my heart. And um, they're based in British Columbia. But you came, and uh, Craig goes to me, Hey, Kelsey, I've got got an Olympic rower coming. I was like, what? No, <laughs> to a rowing event for charity that, but she's going to break the machine. And he's like, yeah, no, she's great. You're going to love her. She's, she won gold. She did that. Look her up. So I look her up and I'm like, oh shit. She, she legitimately won gold. She's real. So you showed up and you rode and one of your strides or whatever you call, what do, you, what do we even call those? Just one stroke, like a rowing stroke. Oh, yeah. stroke. Okay, that word's odd to me. Um, <laughs> what, your, your single stroke was, I think, like three of mine in power. It was troubling how effective you are on a boat. It's, it's concerning that that's like a, a strong suit for you. Yeah, it's definitely when you know how to do it and you do it for years and years and years, so you figure it out, so... And your parents were, was it your parents that were there? Yeah. Yeah. They were the sweetest people in all of the land. <laughs> they were talking about you because I was like, how did you get into rowing? And he's like, oh, you know. And your dad says, well, I starts telling me about how you used to do sports and then you got into this and you skated and then you got into rowing. And once you got, she was right into it. And he was so enthusiastic and proud. Actually, I'd. Was that your dad? No, okay, no. so somebody that else. was that is a guy that I rode with. Well, he like was a part of building the Fort Langley Boathouse okay. uh, way back when. So when I first started rowing in Fort Langley, he was there and had kind of has like followed me through my journey. He loves you. He talks about you yeah. like he's your father. Yeah. Like, he knows your whole history. He uh, he actually like made this huge billboard sign for me and put <laughs> it on the boat, on the boathouse that said like uh, gold medalist and not for the Olympics. This was back in 2011 for when we did under 23 worlds and we broke the world record. And so he like put like Lisa Roman, like we used to row here and put like the world record and stuff on it. I actually keep wanting to try to find it because my dad's like, I want to hang that in my garage. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I don't know where it is though. So, but yeah, that's who that was. Okay. Well, he talks about you like he's your yeah. father. It's the cutest thing in all the <laughs> land. I, I can't, I can't, I can't lie to you when he was, he was intense about it and he was just describing like your determination as a human yeah. being. And it was just very raw and palpable. And then you jumped on the rowing machine and I was like, I'm just going to watch. I'll wait till she leaves. I'll wait till she leaves because I have to do this for several hours. So, <laughs> yeah, what did you do for like eleven hours? I so? did seven. I think James did twelve. Um, yeah, I did. I think it was seven. Yeah, seven. I think James did it. between eight and twelve for him. And then we had people filling in, and we kept the two rowers going for twenty four hours. And I think it, it was. And it's a good time. Like it's always good a good time for the first like eighteen hours. <laughs> yeah, then it gets really bad. It gets bad and it goes down quickly. And I remember at the last, I think last two hours, James and I were rowing. And it was just him and I and like a couple other people standing there. And uh, the training post is obviously closed because it's like 4 a.m. <laughs> and um, 
I just remember sitting there and putting the rower, um, the handles, like, just under my hip bones and folding my upper body <laughs> over top of it. You're not seeing it, but just picture me as a small chair. So I'm folding myself like this, and I did it so that the, the bar would hook there, and then I would just <laughs> go back and forth. Back and forth, like so. Yeah. And I did that for the last couple hours because I was like, I was so cold, and I was over it. Probably so tired. So tired, but it was good. It was a... It was a great event. It was it was fantastic. Um, uh, I always love doing it. It's I hurt myself for charity every time I get an opportunity. Um, it seems to be my thing. But I wanted to bring you in because I I love I love talking to professional athletes. We have a lot of listeners that really appreciate uh, perspectives and the life journey of a professional athlete because there's so much to not only. Um, to resonate with and see themselves in, but there's also, there's something really unique about athletes that become Olympians because I don't know that everyone fully understands uh, the extent, the, the psychological work, the, not just the physical work that goes into not only being an Olympic athlete, but being a successful Olympic athlete and coming back from the way that you guys did uh, off of a loss. And we, mm-hmm. we just had this discussion. I was chatting to you about John Collins, calves. I call him calves now. Because John, John is a very big man. But his calves don't match his body. <laughs> and so him and I were talking about this on the show. And I, so now he is called calves. And I troll him <laughs> for his calves. So, That's amazing. Yeah. So we'll find something to troll for you. Don't that worry. That sounds great. But... I want to discuss with you kind of how you got into rowing and what what really brought that on for you. Uh, Yeah, so I was a figure skater. My mom was my coach. I skated from probably the time I was like three years old until when I was like 17. I kind of decided, okay, like maybe I should find something new. I was like obviously a dedicated athlete, but I wasn't really finding my niche in figure skating anymore. I'm obviously a tall woman, so... You're a very tall woman. Figure how tall, skating? How tall are you? I'm 5'11", so... Yeah, so that's normal skates, for figure skaters. Skates, I'm like 6'1". <laughs> so, <laughs> it's perfect. Most skaters are like your size. So. Which is which is smaller than a normal human. Yeah. Correct. So, um, not really the sport for me anymore. Um, and they were kind of doing like a come try and row and at the time I actually was dating somebody that lived in the states and I was like he was he basically said like why don't you try rowing like if you get a scholarship you could come to school here so I was like okay and so I started rowing and then then, they'll do that too and then in two years I was on my way down to go to school in the states because he was there and I um yeah I was like good enough quite quickly that I got a scholarship and just went it's kind of annoying yeah. Because you know Pretty that much. there's literally people that start at three. <laughs> well, not in rowing, though. Most people start later in life just because it's like a later, like later age sport. So most people start when they're like 17, 18, and then typically like go to the Olympics when they're like 20s and 30s. So, so it's not like a martial art or a... No, like okay. it's not like a... It's definitely like a tier for older athletes as opposed to like being really young and then... And then, kind of going to the Olympics at like 17, 18, 19, got that it, kind of thing. Got so it. it's um, like we had a girl that started rowing when she was, I think she was like 28 or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Holy. And she went to the Olympics with us. So 
Oh wow! So she had a, she got a good year. Yeah, she had. <laughs> yeah, she, she she did really well. Yeah, yeah, that's obvious. Um, by the medal sitting in the middle of the table. <laughs> the um, that's interesting to me because you think of uh, you think of other athletes like um, gymnasts or you think of figure skaters. Yeah, those are those are definitely sports that you have to start when you're like really young to even make it have the, or even have the chance to go to the Olympics. I feel like you have to start when you're super super young. So rowing is very much the opposite of that. And why why is that? Um, I think cause it's more like a power based sport. Um, the technique of it is, I mean, obviously a learning curve, but at the end of the day, like strength and power are a big component of being able to be good at rowing. So I think if you have strength and power, you can adjust to it quicker than right. say like putting figure skates on and going like on a ice. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't do that kind of technique in a couple years on figure skates. It's just not going to happen. Right. Whereas, like, in rowing, if you sit in a boat and know how to pull really hard, you can probably get that technique down pretty quickly. So there are there are some athletes that I know in one of the men's eights uh, that won an Olympic medal. There was a guy that came in, and within four years, he went to the Olympics and won a medal. So oh, wow. And there's actually a book about it. I, I actually don't know what it's called, but it just goes to show that, like, there's certain body types that are more accustomed to rowing than others. And you're short for a rower, aren't you? Yeah. Which is a weird thing to... I'm not the shortest of uh, the girls on our team, but I'm definitely one of the shorter girls. So what you're sure. saying is, like, I wouldn't make the rowing team? No, you'd be, like, a coxswain. Okay. Like, I'd be the yeller? The yeah, yeah. Okay, I feel like that fits, though, right? Yeah, that would be a good spot Hey, for maybe you. I'd actually do all right. <laughs> yeah, you're hey, probably good. look at There's my path to the Olympics. Let's yeah. just start yelling at start people. Start screaming at people. I mean, that would fit right into my everyday repertoire, so you, nobody's shocked. You would probably get along really well with our coxswain, actually. She's a cool, is cool she? chick. Yeah. That's a different position. Can you explain to me what that position... Okay, okay, first off, the whole rowing thing. I understand the rowing aspect, but I don't understand that aspect. Is that for direction, for... Please explain. So the coxswain, she steers the boat, and then she also, like, is guiding us through the race. So she's, like, making calls. She's, like, encouraging us. She's telling us where we are. Like, you shouldn't technically be like looking around when you're in the race like you kind of race your own race to an extent but she's kind of giving you guidance like we're here or we're here or we're moving or we're not moving or what do we need to do next to move away from these people so she's giving us direction and then also steering the boat so strategy wise so is there's there must be strategy when you're racing a certain Mm -hmm. distance we'll get into that in a second because i want to so you started to row when you were in college. Yeah, when I was 17. When you were 17. And then did you want to go to the Olympics or did you just want to be um, a college athlete? What was the goal with that? Um, at that point, I didn't really know enough about rowing. Like I knew it was an Olympic sport, but I didn't really know if that was like where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got to university and then... I was there, I was like in in university and then they had called me to come back and train uh, with the Canadian U23 team. So they had asked me to come back and be a part of the U23 team. And then when we went to under 23s, which is like the, the level below the senior mm-hmm. level. Um, and like we had a great little squad and we ended up like winning a gold medal. I think that's when it really started to like kick in. Like, wow, like I could actually go to the Olympics if I wanted to. Like, I think that's when I really realized like there was more to the sport that I could Mm-hmm. be involved with um and then so after under 23s I still went back to school and finished up my last year 
And I basically just, like, told myself, like, hey, I'm going to give it, like, a good six months once I graduate to, like, see what I can do, if I can make the team. Because I wasn't technically the fastest on the rowing machine, which was kind of, like, a staple for making it onto the national team. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go and train, like, full time. And at the time, at that time, we had um, different hubs. So I was training in Burnaby with a coach that was, like, the hub coach for Burnaby. And um, so I started training there. We trained for, like... I don't know, like three or six months. And then um, we raced at the Nationals. And that was right after 2012 was uh, the Nationals. And so all the Olympic girls from 2012 were not racing because they had just raced at the Olympics and they were kind of like done. So it was kind of a turnover year. Kind of like right now is like this year is kind of a turnover year. Like we just had the Olympics and then like that next year is kind of like the start of a new cycle. But when that happens, does that mean that the individual is not on the team or Um, do you have to row to get your spot again? Yeah. So every year you have to row to make your spot. So at that time I wasn't on the team, but there was opportunity to get on the team because there was less athletes that were, there was people that were leaving, they were retiring. And so it was kind of a free, so a little bit of freedom to get to, um, the national team. So then, like I said, I trained with this girl, Kristen, for like, I think it was like three months and then we raced at nationals and we ended up being third. And so because we did so well, they invited us to come to the national team and join the national team. So I was already an under 23 and they kind of knew who I was. So that was like, that opened up that opportunity for me. And because she raced with me, they invited her as well. So then we joined the national team in January of 2013. So that's when I started on the national team. Okay. So you did national team. And then from there, a couple things, when you, when you when you get picked for a national team, when you start to compete at that level for in that this time this was for Canada, mm-hmm. where you, you were still in school in the states. No, I had graduated. You had graduated, so you were rowing for Canada. When that happens, what does that look like for for work and for the rest of your life? How does that all work? Yeah, so when I moved, so I had to move to Ontario because that's where we were based at that time. So me and the girl that I raced with, we moved to Ontario, and. Yeah, it was way too intense to have a job. I mean, we trained three times a day, most days. And the days that we weren't training three times a day, I couldn't fathom having a job on top of that. So right. there was girls on the team that were like in school and different things during that time. But I, because I had graduated and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I was like, bah, you know what, like I'll just, I didn't really have time to be honest to, right. to do anything else. So I just strictly rode and I rode from... Yeah, like 2013 all the way to 2016, I only wrote. That what, was it. So what does that look like for for finances then? How are you So Spark achieving? Canada funds us. It's not a ton of money. Uh, luckily, like when we were living in London, it wasn't super expensive to live there. Um, like the cost of living there was just like significantly lower. But then after 2016... I uh, stayed there and obviously my parents financially helped to help me out a lot mm-hmm. when I was there. And then after 2016, they basically told us they're moving the center, but we pushed back on that and we're hopeful that they wouldn't because we had a really good setup there. And then in 2018, they were like, you either come or your carding's cut. And I said, okay, what? Well, cut us then. Cause I was like, this is crazy. I don't want to move. I own like at that time, me and my parents had owned a house there and I was mm-hmm. like, to up and sell and my husband was in school so it just like didn't make sense it was just too much at that time so I stayed until January yeah no December I came home for December and then um me and my friend that I had gone to London with we got a place in Victoria just rented a spot which was like super overly expensive yeah 
So we went from living in this like totally ideal situation to having to pay like $800 in rent every month, which is like more than half of what we were getting paid. So I was like, I have to get a job because I had no choice. So I was working part time and I was rowing and that was the only way that I could manage uh, being that situation. And then we sold our house in 2019 in London and my husband, after my husband had finished school, we basically sold, we got married, sold my house, went to the States in three weeks, packed all our stuff, put it in a storage locker and drove across the country. And I started rowing in less than three weeks. And then we raced like two weeks later, which was horrible. <laughs> and how did you place? Oh, I think I was like seventh or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Like shows, shows. <laughs> yeah, because I did not train that whole time because I did not have the time. Well, how are you supposed to train? That's what I don't understand. Well, exactly. And that's supposed to be our time off. And then you want us to come back and then in two weeks later, like race. It was just craziness. It's so. always fascinating to me how they, how they run programs for professional athletes and expect them to go and win like for example, if you're a gymnast and you're from China, like, and well, you're mostly going to be 14, 15, and 16, you're not working, you're not having to no. worry about those types of things. But mm-hmm. when you're, like you said, if you're doing a sport in which you are, and it's an, oh, I'm quotation, older sport, yeah. you're rowing. I mean, I just wonder, I always wonder why they don't. Canada doesn't look after its athletes in the same way that maybe the U.S. does or maybe that other yeah. countries do. I think we, like, we actually get some decent sponsorships. I think the biggest and, like, the money that we get is non-taxable, so, like, that's great. But the thing is, with our sports, sports specifically, like, that money is supposed to be there to help be, like, a buffer for you. Right. So, like, most athletes in Canada would have a job, mm-hmm. and that would be your buffer money. But, like, as an athlete in the sport that we're in, in rowing, like, most of the girls don't have jobs because mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of time to have a job. And if you do have time to have a job, like, you're also exhausted. So well, how like, well you're, are you performing? Exactly. So you're really impeding on your training if you do have a job. So a lot of girls don't have jobs. So that buffer money that's supposed to help you if you have a job becomes your only income. So a lot of those athletes are relying on parental help to get through because, and now with everyone living in Victoria for us, it's even more expensive than when we were living back in London where living's like was quite cheap. Like Ontario's a different ballgame. You could buy a house for 200,000. Like you can't do that in Victoria. So like those athletes are not really moving forward in their life in any way, shape or form. And like, that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like, I haven't really been able to make any big steps over the last nine years because I've been in this, like paycheck to paycheck lifestyle as an athlete for nine years. Are you guys able to, and how does it work in Canada? Are you guys able to go out and get any sort of um, personal sponsorships? Like say like Nike and how, and how so like MasterCard, they sponsor big events and you guys are Mm -hmm. sponsored by Lululemon, I think for the next. Yeah. So Lululemon is sponsoring the team Canada for the winter Olympics, but we had Hudson's Bay was like our sponsor, but really it's only, it's a, clothing sponsor it's right. not there's uh, no financial finance. um there are some sponsors that and like some things that come with being an olympic athlete that you do get um in terms of like you know like i think airbnb gave us like a 500 hundred dollar gift card and like, are you fucking you're talking to me like that's something that's great yeah yeah but i would say like you know like winning a medal you make twenty thousand dollars a gold medal in canada so so that's disgusting because that's <laughs> but, like that's 20 grand below the poverty line yeah, so you would get, like, your regular Sport Canada funding plus, like, a $20,000 gift 
cute. bonus. That's cute. I mean, there is like some extra little things that you can get throughout the years, depending on like your status of being a senior athlete or a lower athlete. But uh, yeah, like it's definitely not a money making situation. And and sponsorships, we do have some sponsorships that work with Rowing Canada, which are amazing. Uh, they're awesome. Like they help pay for. Um, like breakfast companies, like we have a somewhere where we can go eat breakfast and it pays for like a breakfast, like once a day or like during the week. I'm or like, the shit you're telling me right now. <laughs> I know you're trying to make it sound better and you're doing everything you can, but you're getting but nowhere. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Well, just in, compar- just in compare, just in comparison, in comparison to these, these athletes that are from America that are from other countries. They, I mean, my God, these, there's good tennis players. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, are you allowed to go and monetize yourself that way, though? Um, a little bit, but I think like so. For instance, like us as a gold medal winning eight, um, it's really hard to find a sponsorship opportunity for nine women. Yeah, it's not the same as if you were like a it, tennis player. Exactly, like individual sports is very different. And then also, so the federation that controls rowing, like FISA, they. Um, we're not allowed to like put sponsorships like on our boat or on our uniforms and race with it. So it's very difficult to get into a situation where you're like, what are you giving the company Mm -hmm. if you can't like wear Mm -hmm. anything? And during the Olympics, no one is like, you'll notice like during the Olympics, like no cyclists have uh, jerseys with, it has to be on. just team related. It has to be, well, the Olympics controls it. So um, during the Olympics, but so even, but even during like World Cup, like where are like these different events that aren't the Olympics, like we're, our federation doesn't allow us to have those big sponsorships and put it on our gear mm. and have it be on video. So that's a big part of the problem for rowing specifically. So like, for instance, like GB, they have like a lottery fund and that like helps fund their whole team. Mm-hmm. But like we, like, Sport Canada sponsors us. So, like, that's all we have for our funding. I just wonder. I just wonder. We, we I mean, we, now in, in our day and age of anything, we should be supporting health and fitness and movement and and sport and the, the things that come along with that, with the mental health and, and the healing and all of that. But it's, it's hard to sit there and and tell your kid you can go be an Olympic athlete when you know that what that would really mean for them is to financially struggle to be able to achieve a a medal only for their government to just kind of be like, hey, you're kind of okay enough. You're acceptable enough. We'll give you a little money, but we're going to make you struggle every which direction. I just, I don't know that that's, that's a little infuriating to me. Just have being an athlete and seeing that, you can you can give your entire life to something mm-hmm. and just it not be maybe valued the way it should be in my opinion. Yeah, just... no, I I definitely agree, and I do hope as we evolve a bit more and the sport of rowing evolves a bit more that there is mm-hmm. more financial support because like for us it's, I mean I was paying a mortgage, me and my husband were paying a mortgage, and I was paying eight hundred dollars in rent every month. This just doesn't make sense. So like you know and i'm trying to still like have a life outside of rowing by working and doing the things i needed to do to kind of keep my life progressing in the right direction Mm -hmm. as i'm 32 and i don't have any you know like my income is non-taxable so i and i don't pay into like a pension or any of these things so now i've basically lost 10 years of paying into a pension which is crazy so like 
uh, what am I, am I going to retire when I'm 70 or 80? Because like, you know, yeah. I'm never going to reach that point where it's like a feasible amount at this now that I've missed so many years. Right. So it's just a matter of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Thank God my husband works. <laughs> I mean, you need to write a book. Yeah. You just need to write a book. Yeah. You're a gold medalist. You can do that. I know the journey, the crazy journey. You yes. know, you could do that, right? Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just tossing it out there. Yeah, just completely. So I, I we side tangents super hard there, and I really apologize for that. When you started competing, you started doing really well, really quick. Yeah, walk me through that because you did. You've been through worlds. You've done the whole gamut. Yeah. So take me through that first time competing into some sort of intense level. Um. Yeah. So I competed with my school, which. To be honest, our school wasn't like the fastest school, but I always got to be, I was always in the top boat. Like I basically got there and was in our top boat the whole year or the whole time I was there, which was really cool. So I had like really good push to like get faster and kind of help lead that. And then um, I went to under 23s, which we ended up, we had a good group of athletes there. And the coach that actually coached me at under 23s was actually the exact same coach that coached me at the Olympics. Okay. Which is crazy. That is but very amazing. weird. Um, so she kind of was like in and out, um, over the years that I've been around. And part of the reason why she ended up being our coach at the Olympics is because when I got married in 2019, uh, she was at my wedding and a bunch of the girls were at the wedding and she had told them like, Oh, I'm thinking about applying for like the next chunk, like just the small chunk of time until the Olympics, like coming and Mm -hmm. helping out. And at that point that was like September and she was supposed to come in like January from January until August. So it was only a small chunk of time. And she just wanted to like, she would just, she felt obligated because she'd been coaching us like prior to like the couple years before we had left when we were living in London and kind of resisting moving to Mm -hmm. Victoria, she was coaching us. And so she already had like kind of a attachment with quite a few of us. And then, um, so all the athletes that were at my wedding were like, you better apply. You have to come. Like we need you. Just sitting there. You better teach me how to rub. Okay. Shh. Right away. Yeah, like, come, come, come. Come. So she actually applied that night. Really? Yes. That's fantastic. Which is crazy. So then um, she, yeah, so she ended up, but then the postponement happened. So she ended up having to stay for a whole extra year. And, like, she had her family living in London and everything. But it was, I felt like she was very much in our situation at the same time, you know? Like, we were, we were doing it together. Like we were all in that position. We were all, there's a bunch of us that were like away from our loved ones because of COVID. So like, that was a whole nother thing that we went through, um, during that, like going into the Olympics. So, um, but yeah, like I, so I medaled at under 23s and then I raced at like nationals and I, and me and my partner were third. And then we just kind of like progressively got into this, like got into the team. And then in 2013, I mean, I'd have to actually look up where I was at, like, World Cups and World Championships because mm-hmm. I don't know. But we did win a lot of medals. You did win a lot of medals. Yes. Yeah. Between 2013 and all the way to, like, Tokyo, we did win a, quite a few, like, World Cup medals. Uh, I don't know if we ever – we never won the World Championships, but we were always, like, second or third. Yeah, you were always – yeah, you were on stage yeah. for sure. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I went through your stats and I was like, oh, she's won a lot of things. Yes, yes. She's won a lot. So, and I think like 2016 for us was definitely heartbreaking because we had meddled every single year leading into 2016 and then we ended up being fifth. And so I was super motivated to come back and push for that next medal. 
Um, I think I took like three weeks off and I started training for the next Olympics, not knowing that we were going to do in a whole extra year of training <laughs> to go to Tokyo because of the postponement. So frustrating. So frustrating. Now I think I'm like, why did I take, not take a year off? Like, right? I should have just taken six months off at least. Like a lot of the girls took like six months off, but I was just like, no, like, Focus. here we go. Like on to the next one. Um, so yeah, I had like, there was a couple times where I rode in different boats, uh, between Rio and, um, Tokyo. Like, uh, I was in the four for a couple like world cups and stuff like that. And in the pair, I was in different boats, which was kind of cool. Cause I'd always normally race in the eight. So, um, but then yeah, back, back into the eight for the Olympics. So, which is where I wanted to be. <laughs> well, you, so you got fifth in Tokyo. Yeah. In Tokyo. How, how is that to... How is that? How is that getting fifth? Because I've now talked to somebody who's gotten fourth. Well, like I said, it was pretty hard on us because we had medaled. I think we were just in an unknown. We just anticipated a medal. So I think looking mm-hmm. back, I just think like we were kind of in that mindset that there was no way we could possibly walk away with that not having a medal, which I think is was completely the wrong mentality to have going into an Olympics. Like when I went into Tokyo... I consistently told our younger athletes all the time, don't expect a medal. Do not expect for us to just go out there and win a medal. Like if you go out there with that expectation mentality, you're going to get burned. Why, why is that? Because I think you need to keep making steps in the right direction. So if you actually go back and watch like our first, our very first race in Tokyo, the difference between how we raced there versus the final, we were still making steps towards that gold medal. So you had progression. You were still progressing. Yeah. Okay. We were were still making moves in the right direction to get to that medal. And I think that if you go into an Olympics and just think like, I'm ready, I'm just going to do what I need to do and it's going to happen. It's not going to happen because everybody brings a different ball at the Mm. Olympics. And if you're not making having that mentality of like, okay, what can we do better tomorrow? Okay. What can we do better the next day? Okay. What are we going to practice in training? That's going to help us the next day. I think if you don't have that type of mentality at the Olympics, the chances of you actually being successful are very low. Is that so for, for mindset that, cause there's a couple things there I want to, I want to get into. Mm-hmm. So going into the Olympics, like you, you said something, you don't know what everyone's going to bring. Is there, mm-hmm. is there been times where somebody has choked and not been able to perform? Is that, is that just due to stress and anxiety around the event? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think there's people that do, they come to that event uh, kind of like, and they have, things can go either way. Like mm-hmm. if you look at our first race, like we, we got walked through in the last 250 meters and, you know, we, we were like, ah, oh, like. Damn it. What does that mean? It walked through. Uh, so we were winning and then a boat came and walked through us and won. So, which in rowing you do. Okay. So there's, there's only seven boats that go to the Olympics. Okay. So you qualify your boats, the world championships before. So we actually qualified our boat in 2019 and we were fourth. So when we qualified in 2019, um, that counted for the Olympics. Okay. And then prior to the Olympics, they add the next couple boats. So, I think it's five. Yeah, it's five boats. So five boats qualified for our, this is just specific to the women's eight. Okay. Uh, it's different for different 
um, categories. Okay. So the women's eight only has nine boats. Some have like 11, some have 15. Like it's just, why, can I, do you know why that is? Yeah. Cause there's so many women in the, in the eights. Oh, so it. it's actually like more like numbers, like of amount it's of people. Based. Yeah. As opposed to like, so that's why we only have seven boats. Got it. Okay, Makes so sense. five boats get qualified at the World Championships the year before the Olympics, and then they do a late qualifiers for the last two boats. So then those two boats qualify in the last late qualifiers, which oh. was usually held in, like, March prior to the Olympics. So it's, like, just before the Olympics. So if – okay, so hold on. So they so the first, the first group qualifies. Now, who are the other individuals racing against in the later dates to try to qualify? You again? No, anyone that wants to try to qualify okay. will go to that event. So, for instance, like, sometimes there's 10 women's eights, uh, like, 10 different countries that will have a women's eight, but only seven of them can go, right? So five of them qualified at World Championships, and then uh, the late qualifiers, two more of whoever wants to put in an eight will Oh, qualify. so it just doesn't matter at that It doesn't point. matter, no. Okay, and it doesn't have to – so nobody who – has already pre-qualified would go and no. re-race that just no. to do boat time or seat time. Or yeah, no, it. no, it would just be like whoever's trying to qualify. And then at the Olympics, so our, the first race is there's two heats. One of them has four boats and one of them has three boats. Cause we only have seven boats. Okay. So, and then the person that wins in each of those heats mm-hmm. goes directly to the final. Oh, wow. So they don't even race again until the final. So it's advantageous for, to, to win that one. Yeah. Cause you don't have to race again. Right. And then everybody else has to go to a rep and okay. the top, um, three, yeah, four boats, the top four boats of the rep mm-hmm. go to the final. Got so it. one boat gets dropped out at the rep and they're done. They Ugh. don't, they don't race at the, like at the final, at the Olympics. So if you're last in the rep, like your, your That's... Olympic stuff is over. Okay. Yeah. It's That's pretty like harsh. the soul. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, you're done now. Bye yeah. now. Go home. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So then the final race has six boats in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's so if you, like, if you go back and you watch like our race progression, so we, we lost our first race. We wanted to win. Um, but I think because we hadn't raced in two years, mm-hmm. it was a huge learning curve for us. Um, we knew we were super powerful. We had lots of like strength and we, as soon as we had finished that race, we knew exactly what we needed to do to get better. So then we went to the rep. Romania had an amazing race. They walked through us again. Mm. So we were second. But not last. But not last. <laughs> um, which obviously was at the same time we were in that same mode. Like, again, like we let this happen again. Um, so after that, we really went and we dug into like some like some really good like finished sprints and training um, in practice. And we were like, okay, like we still haven't put our perfect race together. Like we still need to figure this out. And if we figure it out, like... We're going to be fine. So. But what are you doing? How long in between? So from your first race, the one you lost to then getting second in the rep, how many days in between that? And then how many days from the rep to the final? Um, I can't, to be honest, like, it's all within one week, but I can't actually remember Because you're days. talking about you're going There's afterwards. like a couple days in between usually, like one day or two days in and between. Then, or how are you training in between those days? Are you on the water? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, everyone trains. Like, there's training times. So, like, okay. during the Olympics, like, during the actual rowing day, it's only, like, four hours or five hours. And then before that five hours or after is all like training. So you can go out and train and do whatever you want. And I I mean, everyone does their own thing and it's, it's whatever you need Mm -hmm. and don't need. And if you don't need to train, then you don't train. And it's, 
just everyone can do whatever they want at those points. So I think we had two days between our rep and our final and a lot of our crews had raced. So a lot of our other Canadian crews had raced those two days and we, um, we were, I think we were the last, we were the last ones to race of all of the Canadian crews. So, um, I think part of that was advantageous for us because we had watched so much racing. And Mm -hmm. I think when you watch racing, you start to pick up on like the people that are winning and what they're doing. And so the cues, yeah. So we kind of like, we watched a lot of the racing and started realizing like a lot of the people were like going super hard out of the gates. And so we had planned on doing that, but I think that we watched our women's pair go super hard and be super relentless and fearless. And they ended up winning a bronze medal. And I think that really helped inspire us to do something like that Mm -hmm. and to follow in their footsteps. And I think that was like, it was amazing to watch them win the medal and be like, okay, like we can win a medal too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think when you have like all your crews that are racing, you kind of judge like where you're going to be based off your crew. So if you don't have people meddling, I think you start to be like, maybe it's not possible for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but for instance, in our final, like Romania beat us in the rep, but then Romania ended up being, I think they were like fourth or fifth in the final. Oh wow. So like, like they had an amazing race in the rep. And I think time, that was that was one of those though that was one of those crews that I think they just had their race at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Their race was they if if the Olympic race was the rep for them they would have won. And it's a, it's a very disheartening thing because you really have to put it down on the right day. And to be honest, like I will fully admit, like we had our best race on the right day mm-hmm. at the right time and at the right moment, and everything was just like perfect. And that's why we won. And that was a big part of why we won because it was like the best race that we'd ever done on the right day. And that just doesn't happen for people all the time. Like that's not, it's really hard to make that happen. And so I was like, so grateful that we were able to have that success. And, you know, we had, we had some really young girls in the boat that had never been to the Olympics. I mean, our stroke seat Avalon, she's, she'd never even stroked an eight in that racing. So oh, wow. like to have her be stroking a woman's eight at the Olympics for the first time was like, that's a huge task to take. And, and she did it great and it was amazing. And we all jumped on board and we really like honed into it. And I think that is why we were so successful. So the game plan is, is it you that makes the game plan? Is it the team that makes the game plan? Like when you're discussing watching the races and you're seeing these other individuals mm-hmm. and you're watching like how hard they were coming out of the gate and stuff like that, is that then taken back and do we discuss it? Or is that just like, Hey, this is, she says, Hey, this is what we're doing. And we're doing this. I think it's a collaboration between all the athletes and your coach. Mm-hmm. So like we had a really good relationship with our coach. I mean, she always asked us questions and was very like, she would put us, as a human first and then an athlete. And so she cared about our input. She wanted to know what we were thinking and she wanted our understanding of what was happening and so that she could help guide us in that direction. I think that's one thing that like a lot of coaches at the national level don't do is they don't treat athletes like humans. They treat athletes like an athlete that they control. Mm. And I think if you treat an athlete like you just own them and control them, you're going to get less out of that athlete than if you treat them like a human who has feelings and is a real person. And then you treat them like the athlete. But if you can't understand them as a, who they are and the person they are, 
it's going to be really hard to get what you want out of those people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she was really good at being like genuine and understanding like the issues we had even before the Olympics. Like, you know, she understood like I'm married. I can't see my husband because of COVID and like this person has maybe some mental health issues they need to deal with. And this person is injured and needs to take some time off and rest. And like, she was very good at, handling those situations and making us be feel safe in that environment. And then when we needed to work, we would want to work for her and for ourselves because she cared because she cared mm-hmm. and she knew and she understood and she treated us and respected us in that way. So I think that like all of those things that were happening at the Olympics, when we sat down and had like our final talk before our final, it was a collaboration conversation. What are we going to do and how are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. So and I think we progressively every single day got better and better. Like, uh, people don't know this, but like she was re-rigging our boat for me like 10 minutes before we got on the water because I said to her, there's a super hard headwind coming from one side. I don't want it to be that high. Like, can you go re-rig it? And she's re-rigging my boat like hours before the race to something completely different than it was two days ago. Wow. And like, but that. She knew that she, she knew that to be successful. I, she knew that she could trust me enough that I was making the right decision for myself in that moment right. because she trusted me enough to know like she knows what she's doing like it's going to be okay and this is the right decision well it seems like she was more of a she was a genuine leader she was not the individual that Mm -hmm. just told you guys what to do yeah yeah and that she's an amazing coach for that and i think we need we need more women that understand (laughs) women in coaching which is slightly why i'm trying to get involved in coaching because i think there needs to be I hate to say it, less men coaching women because they don't quite understand women, unfortunately. Because there's problems and (laughs) men are creepy and that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's not okay that they're creepy. We know that they're creepy, but um, it's just a genuine problem. And like, I listen, I've been very upfront about my experiences with male coaches and I I think, you know, it's not to put the you know, the blame on everyone, but there's definitely a a way to look at coaching. There's definitely a way to look at... um, you know, the vulnerability of, of individuals and, and, and how we how we are with our, our athletes. And I think we need to care a little bit more about um, the people we put our people around and the the amount of time you're spending with someone and the lack of check and oversight, right? That That's my personal experience I can speak of. So I think, you know, I'm, I think the world's not naive to the idea that there's, um, there's people that will always take advantage of situations and individuals um, when given the opportunity, just depending on that human, there's always going to be somebody that's going to do that. Mm-hmm. But, it, but if you can limit it, if you can limit the exposure of a, of an opportunity or a chance for that to be a thing, i.e. female sports, male coaches, you know, male coach, uh, male athletes, female, female coaches, like there is always going to be something there. But when you're just spending, you know, a, an extensive amount of time, and mm-hmm. you, your 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 career, your everything revolves around that person. It's it's a different it's a different thing. It's a there's a different vulnerability to that um, that could be exploited quite easily if it's in the wrong hands. For for you next though, because I know that you and I had talked before that you know you you're 32 now and you have another Olympics coming. Mm-hmm. What's the plan? And what's the plan for the the girls that won gold with you? Like. What are, what are they thinking? Where are they wanting to go? So some of the girls have decided to retire. How um, many? I think there's officially one that has retired or said that she has retired. 
there are others that are thinking about it. Um, there's a lot of changes going on with our organization right now. So I think that will impact people's decisions. How this year goes will also impact people's decisions. So I'm open to the idea of going back. I have not closed that door, but I want to see that there is movement in the right direction for me to want to put myself into a situation where I'm going back to that lifestyle. And I love training. I love being in that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So that aspect of it is not, not going to be hard for me. It's just the things that are going on around me that will impact how that happens and how it kind of unfolds. So I think I just need to see what are the steps and what is going to happen first before I make those kinds of decisions. But in the meantime, Mm. I'm just going to kind of work on the things that I want to have in place outside of when I'm done doing what I'm doing. Writing a book. (laughs) should write a book. I'd read that book. Uh, Just saying. It's just an idea. There's some good pre-Olympic stories that we have. That's for sure. Like we, uh, we definitely had a bike accident. What? 40 days out of the Olympics. Okay, you need to elaborate. You can't drop okay, things like that. So like, that's no big deal. Move on. So we had our only training camp in two years in Strathcona, which is up island. And we went with half of our men's team and our coach. We had brought all of our cycling bikes and we were like, okay, afternoons we can go for like long cycles. And so um, it was, I think we got there. It was on the Sunday, I believe. It was the day after we got there. So we did a morning row. We finished our row. And then our coach was like, okay, we're going to go for a cycle. If some of the girls want to go, like some of the, the guys were going and they're like, so that there was 11 of us that went on this trip. And the coaches followed behind us in a truck because there's no cell service there. So they're like, we don't, we, we, we just want to make sure we're being safe. So we're like, okay, all of us are like very confident bike riders. Like uh, most of us cycle a lot. We do a lot of cycling as like cross training. It's a really good crossover for rowing. So a lot of people cycle. So riding in a pack is always like somewhat dangerous, but you know, they've said like, keep your space, like be smart. Like we're not, we're not in a race. It's not a competition, which obviously we're all athletes. So everything's a competition. You know what? I'm going to stop you there. Cause somebody sent my, I think my husband sent this meme to me. I'm going to send it. You're going to die. It was like a Gary V one. And it's, it's so accurate. And and he goes, I fucking hate people who act like, like all of these, uh, you know, things in life are not a competition. Maybe not to you, fuck face, because everything's a competition to me. And it's it's true. It's, it's okay true. for him to say that. But legitimately, everything is a competition. So yeah. you're bound to get a little competitive if you're riding in a pack of people. Yes, 100%. So, but I will say, we were actually, we were being pretty good about it. Like, we weren't being crazy. But we weren't, but this We were actually problems. being good. We were, we weren't being crazy. <laughs> anyway, so my, we were like, oh man, we were doing the two hour rides. We were like, less than five minutes from turning around and one of my teammates uh kasha she was sitting she was in front of me and i was right behind her and i watched her lift her hand off of the the bike and i just saw her front tire go right and left and just started going and two seconds later she was on the ground and i was now 
two seconds from running into her and I just kind of like swerved my bike to not run her her physically over right I chose to run her bike over instead and so did you go down yeah so I hit her bike and I went like flying over my handlebars like just shot off my bike just straight concrete um Mm -hmm. like skidded across the ground and then my other teammate was behind me and she was like I don't know what to do so she just like dumped herself like onto the road and basically like hit her bike and they were just both of them were on the ground and I instantly was in shock and like got on my feet and was like what just happened and I I turned over and all I see is just blood spewing down her face like I've never seen this much blood in my time oh no and I was and she's like grabbing her arm and she's screaming and I'm like watching basically this this girl's Olympic dream unfold in front of me and I'm just like mortified um anyway so she had a massive gash in her head which is why she was bleeding so bad it was huge head wounds are the they'll be so bad and we are obviously working out so (laughs) it was great (laughs) timing was epic so we crashed we put her bike in the truck the three of us get in the truck we start driving back um we stop she's still screaming the entire way and I'm looking at her like trying to calm her down and be like, it's going to be okay. Like you're going to be fine. And she's like, no, it's broken. I know it's broken. And I'm like, it's okay. Like it's fine if it's broken and we're going to figure this out. It's going to be, we're going to be okay. And she's like, no, like I'm done. Like there's no way I'm going to go through this. Anyways, we get back um, and they kind of take our bikes and take some of our stuff. They get her some pillows because we've got a 45 minute drive to the hospital. Oh dear. And it's like windy, windy roads. And uh, we get there, they put her in and she broke her clavicle, but it was a clean cut, like a very clean cut. Um, Me and my other teammate had like light concussions, um, but like pretty bruised up, banged up. And so we went back to the lodge and um, I basically, because the girls were still rowing and obviously like everyone's like the other people that didn't go were like, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. This is the worst decision ever. Like, yeah. you know, I'm it's so, to, it's, to be honest, I think we were more upset about the fact that we felt like we were letting them down because of what had happened than the fact that she has a broken clock. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so mm-hmm. everyone's just like all over the place. Cause we're like, what are we going to do now? And like, we can't row because we have concussions. And so now we're basically down three people in our boat. And it was mayhem. So we went to this training camp and I sat in a bed the entire week. I mean, that sounds like a relaxing training <laughs> camp. <laughs> um, so my girlfriend that she did, that broke her clavicle, they ended up, her boyfriend ended up flying out from Calgary and she ended up going back into town because they wanted her to go see a specialist and um, they made the decision to do surgery on it. And played so, it? Yeah. Yeah. So she, it happened on Sunday. By Thursday, she had already had surgery and had a plate and screws put in. Um, and she was in recovery mode and we were leaving for the Olympics in 10 days. And the day she was walking out of the hospital was the day the team was announced. Did she make the team? Yes, she did. That's so amazing. Yeah. Oh, yes. So she had to, she came in 10 days late to the Olympics Um, she had to kind of like go through a process of like making her way back, um, via like the doctors and Mm -hmm. staff and stuff. And they had to make that decision. Uh, when she got there, we were actually still sea racing prior to the Olympics between her and another girl named Becca, who Becca, bless her heart, was there 
the whole time she was gone. And if we didn't have her, I don't know what we would have done. And she She stepped up. Yeah. Oh yeah. And she was our spare. And unfortunately, and it's very harsh in the Olympics. You only get X amount of numbers for spares and for seats and for people that are invited. So like we only get a certain amount of tags for people to actually go and verifications Mm -hmm. to go into the Olympics. So Becca was not given a tag Mm -hmm. to be at the Olympics. So we did two weeks with her at our training camp prior to the Olympics, and then she was sent home. And um, that's a really harsh situation because you we had her that whole month that Kasha was gone. Like, she trained with us every day. She was very much a part of that crew. And so I'm getting emotional I talking about it. <laughs> um, but it shows how much you cared, though. Like, she's an important person to you guys. Yeah, she was huge. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Um but if you if you look at our final race, the ore that Cash is using has two names on it, oh. and that was we put that on it for her. Oh, that's beautiful. You're yeah. making me cry. <laughs> so like, really, it was like a ten-person boat, is what yeah. we say, as opposed to like the nine of us, because. If we didn't have her, I don't know what we would have done. Like, she was, like, so wrapped up in everything that was happening. And it was so heartbreaking to see her go and, like, let Kasha come back in. But, unfortunately, it's just, it's the way it works. And that's how things go. And, you know, when you train, you train with all these athletes. Even, like, preparing for the Olympics. Like, you don't, nobody makes a boat until you do selection. And you don't know who's going to be in that boat with you until months before. Like, I think we selected in, like, May or June. Like, we didn't, you know, like, it was very, I mean, we were, like I said, we were still doing selection prior to two weeks before the Olympics. So, like, things were, like, there was so many things happening that people don't realize. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's heartbreaking to know that she like came so far with us and then that uh, she didn't actually have the opportunity to race. Um, but she's still rowing. So is she, is she going for the team now? Yes. She, well, that I know of. Yes. (laughs) I haven't had that conversation with her specifically, so I can't say yes for sure, but she is training and I think she wants to give it another go, which is, um, amazing. And I'm very hopeful that she will have her opportunity because yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a rough one. That's yeah, a rough that's one. Painful. That one's a different. Um... The spares never get the credit they deserve. They are there the whole the whole time. I mean, if anyone gets injured, the first person that steps in is that spare. But like nobody even sees that name, right? Like, you know. So I mean, same thing with our four. Like we had girls that were injured in our other boat, and our spares were stepping into that boat consistently, mm-hmm. like while we were at the Olympics. But those people don't really get that same. There's a there's a team behind the team. Hundred percent, yeah. And then obviously you have your staff, your coaches, mm-hmm. and everyone else is associated to you. I mean, we've got sports psychs, we've got you know physio physios, we've got uh, physiologists like with us. I mean, and those people are all doing like all the dirty work that yeah. we don't have to do. I mean, in Tokyo it was like forty four degrees Celsius and. 80 90 percent humidity so um i mean we've got ice vests we've they're you know they've got nylons full of socks with ice in them so that we Mm -hmm. can stay cool we've got you know headbands and everything like if you saw us prior to getting on the water you'd be like what was wrong with you why are you wearing that (laughs) it makes sense though i watched i watched um i watched the olympics and i i normally watch every year this year it's i'm i'm really not watching uh, much. I won't lie to you. I'm not. Um, <laughs> I won't do it. Uh, I'll watch the people 
particular, but I can't. But I watched, I watched, and I <laughs> saw, I remember watching the marathon runners run, oh, the women run. and So hot. It, they started so early, and they were still just, like, just being on the water, being outside, running in that, in that temperatures, it looked excruciating. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was rough. It was rough. Because the humidity Nike. reminds me of, like, Dubai. It's, it, uh, it's it, you wet. You open the door and it just, like, it's like you're stepping into a sauna. It just, like, hits you at the door and you're like, oh. <laughs> and the only cool place, so at that venue, we had kind of, like, containers that we would, it was, like, our room. But, I mean, it was super small. And that was, and it had an air conditioner in it. So we would always, like, go in there and we'd be hiding in there just trying to stay cool because... Also, it was COVID, so we're trying to stay away from people, and like, and that—I mean—that's a whole nother beast. The COVID situation that prior to our Olympics, and I mean, bless all the winter athletes because, you know, we thought it was bad when we were doing ours, but Mm -hmm. this Omnicon stuff—I cannot even imagine the craziness because of how contagious it was. Um, Going into the Winter Olympics would have been awful. I mean, there was tons of athletes that didn't leave until so much later because they tested positive. Like Mm -hmm. that would just be. I understand it to a certain extent, but I can't imagine how much worse it was for those athletes because it was just so much more vicious. Granted, they didn't have to wait a whole nother year. Like we did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I feel like there's <laughs> some pros and cons, I guess. So yeah. And they're also in China and if they utter just the wrongest word, their life is over. So yeah. <laughs> they're also being fed like dog food to the, from what I've seen. So I oh, mean, there's yeah. definitely, there's ball, there's lines here either way. Yeah. You're going to get a shitty situation, but I do know like, um, I mean, I would much rather compete in Japan. Yeah, I think I would too. Yeah, I would much rather be. I would much rather. Be the people there. were amazing in Japan. Like I can't say anything bad about being no. in Japan. Like other than COVID being a thing, like oh, the people were amazing. I mean, we I remember the day before because we everyone after the Olympics you have to leave like within forty eight hours. Really? Yeah, because of <laughs> get out. <laughs> yeah, it's the same with the winter athletes. I'm sure it's the same for them. I'm pretty sure. Like they if they're done, like they're gone within twenty four hours. So Good. like some of those athletes that are won medals and like their competition is over, they'll be home like tomorrow and people don't realize that. Cause normally that doesn't happen. You would stay like normally in Rio, we were there for a week and then we moved into the village and we stayed there for a week and partied and like went and watched all the events and like got to do all this fun stuff. Whereas like in Tokyo, we won our medal. And before I won my medal, I was getting a COVID test to go home and packing my bag. That's nuts. <laughs> Cause we That's were leaving nuts. the next day. Like, it was crazy, and I remember going in for our PCR, our second PCR test, because you have to have two prior to leaving. Our second PCR test, we had won, we had won our medal, and we, we were obviously walking around with our medals on. Cause, because you're cause, walking around with your medals on. Why not? Obviously. Um, so we went in to get our PCR tests, and uh, some of the people that worked in the, that area, they were like, oh my god, they were crying when they saw our medal. Aww. Like, it was so cute. I was like, yeah, you can hold it. And they were like crying because they got to hold our gold medal. So it was just like the people like were just, I felt so bad that none of them got to come to any of the events, and there was like, because there was no... No, no fans. Yeah, yeah, that's really unfortunate. It's really sad. Yeah. Well, especially when you bid for a uh, for an Olympic oh, yeah. and you you do the infrastructure and, and everything was set up for it. Mm-hmm. And not only was everything set up for it in 2020, but it was there for an entire year mm-hmm. waiting for the Olympics to come, Just and then they s- never got to use it, which was so sad. That's so much money. It's so much infrastructure. So, so much money and so much time put into it. It's <sighs> it's wild to watch. Um, I didn't, uh, 
I've never physically been to any Olympic, but I do want to go to Paris. I'd love to go to watch in Paris. Let's see how that goes. What's that face for? Because if I go to Paris, then... Then you're going to be there. Then I would be there. That's the point. I can get you into the Canada house. Exactly. I'll be GB in Canada house. Yeah. This works for me. I've told I said I'm going to go and I'm going to interview everyone because I think getting to go to the Olympics and experience it, I think, is something special and unique. And it's something that I feel like every athlete should strive to want to achieve. I just wish... I just wish that the Olympic Committee would act accordingly and we would start thinking about our athletes a different way because it kind of brings me to what I wanted to touch on next with you, which was the mental health aspect of, mm. of becoming an athlete, being an athlete, placing fourth or fifth in an Olympics, having to go through that, pull yourself out of that and move forward. Mm-hmm. For you, do you guys get a lot of, um, I asked John about this, do you guys get a lot of uh, sports psychologists and things like that, mental health support? Um so yeah, we do have a sports psych that works within our like within rowing. Um I mean I do so like I'm taking school for counseling and I think I hope to see progress in this department because I think it's something very important for athletes and I think we need to do a better job of it. Um I think that the the difficult thing with sports psychologists that work with your team is it's very goal oriented Mm. psychology that you're kind of working with your team. So I think there needs to be a step. My personal opinion would be there needs to be a separation between that person that's coming in to help you with your culture and help you with issues that you might be having as a team. And those things, I think that should be that person and that should work with your team. But I think that athletes need, like, so for instance, like, I could go to our sports psychologist about any of the things that I have an issue with. Absolutely mm-hmm. anything. But I personally don't think that it's comfortable to talk to somebody that is our team psychologist about my personal issues outside of rowing. Fair. No, I don't disagree. I think that it's great that we have somebody that works with us as a team. But what are those resources for athletes that don't want to be associating that person, mm-hmm. even though it's confidentiality and she can't say anything, Still. I just don't think it's a comfortable situation to be communicating with that person when that's like your person for your actual team. So like, uh, during COVID just of my own personal thing, like I went outside of our team and I was working with my husband with a counselor and that was like something we wanted to do because we couldn't see each other and that was horrible. And we were having our own issues with that. And so I didn't feel like I wanted to have those conversations with our counselor or psychologist Mm -hmm. that worked with our sports psych that worked with our team. So I do think there needs to be someone that is completely separate from the team, knows nothing about what we do on the athlete side and that person can work with the team, but they're not actually like, they don't know stuff about rowing and they don't really like aren't infused with like the coaches and everyone else that's like, cause obviously like they all have team meetings with our coaches and stuff like that. And I, and, and I do believe like they're, you know, they're not saying anything to those people, but I just think like they're more of a sports psych, not like, I don't know. I just think there needs to be separation. No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong on that. I mean, if you look at what the sports psychologist job and profession is to do mm-hmm. is to have that individual be able to, you know, manifest and visualize and mm-hmm. do those types of things and, and to then have them sit down with you and, and, and do, you know, counseling about, hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z with either my husband or my family or my whatever, for whatever the reason. I think that's, yeah. I want to say it's a, 
a confidentiality issue, but I think there is still a perception issue. And I think some of the things that maybe you would want to discuss with a psychologist versus your sports psychologist potentially could affect your position as an athlete. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, like that shouldn't be the situation, but I think in your mind as an athlete, you may think that might be happening. Mm -hmm. And I think it can mess up with you even more. Well, that's it. You're worried. You're concerned. You you, you watch what you say and you should be, I think that you should be having conversations with different people because they, they just specialize in different things. That's why there are specialties. Yeah. And, And there are resources for athletes to go outside, but I do think that there's they we don't do a very good job of like athletes knowing of those things so i think that's one thing as like a senior athlete that's been around for a while that i i hope to allow those younger athletes to understand is like there are resources for you mm-hmm. and like this is where you can find them because i think that's that's one of those educational portions of being in this environment that i think we need to do a better job of so where are they? How do we get a hold of them? And why are they important? And I think if we can do provide that to young athletes, we're going to see less of those mental health issues lingering later on down the road when it's far beyond what it should have ever been mm-hmm. two or three years prior to that mm-hmm. because they've been able to get that help and they know where to find it. So I think there is a couple, like for instance, there's a, comp- a company that I contacted and I had asked them, I was doing a research paper for um, homework. This is so crazy, but I was literally doing a research paper and I was like, oh, this company is amazing. Like they sponsor, like they help athletes get help. Like if they need it, this is crazy. I never even knew this existed. And I've been an athlete for nine years. Well, it just kind of started a couple of years ago anyway so i actually talked to the researchers that were doing this research because i'd read a bunch of papers and i used them in my my paper and i contacted them and was like hey like i'd love to be involved with you guys somehow some way because i think this is amazing what you're doing and a good opportunity and athletes should know about this and she was like yeah absolutely so they have like a little ambassador program um which i'm hopefully gonna be involved with nice. soon when i have some time to get that organized but good. it will happen but i think um there are making steps towards those things, but I definitely think we need the more education on where to find it. Right. So. But it's like that, it seems like it's like that in, in anything now where yeah. the way that we're doing it, it's like, I talk about it in the military. It's like, we're, we're having these conversations we're we're training people on X, Y, and Z, but yet we're leaving out like the, one of the main components and one of the, one of the biggest things that people are struggling with. And we're not giving enough education at the very beginning before we pre people to shitty situation yeah there's no tools being given yeah and you would think especially with sport considering sport is so met your mental health your mental state your your ability to to put yourself in a position psychologically is so crucial to the success of a team and an athlete you would think that would be like the first conversation you would be having mm-hmm your face is so cute. You're like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm so cute. Yeah. You're so right. It doesn't though. <laughs> yeah, and it's it not how it works. No, no, it's not how it works at all. And that's why I think that's, that's needs to be pushed for sure. And I think we're starting to see more of that mental health coming into sport. I mean, you know, look at Simone Biles, like look at all these people that are coming out saying like, I can't compete. I'm having mental health issues mm-hmm. or like there's stuff I just, you know, so it, it is coming, becoming more noticed and people are understanding a bit more and becoming like okay with it. Right. But I think that 
Too little, too late. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like, we could have avoided these situations if we had provided these people with the support they needed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, no, I I just think it's always important to acknowledge that because there's a... There's so much we, we should be doing, we can be doing, and I think, again, we are starting to do, but it, it does have that, that, that feeling to it that it might be a little too late when it comes to, like, previous athletes and things like that. Mm. Like, like, I had that discussion with John about um, him getting fourth, and I, you know, he said he struggled with his mental health after, right? And not really knowing who to talk to, where to go with that, and how to mm-hmm. pull, yourself, pull himself out of that, because that, as an athlete, that's your life, that's everything you do. Yeah, and I think that when you train for four years and you don't get the kind of success that you're looking for, thinking about doing what you just did for another four years is super overwhelming. Mm-hmm. That is a long time. It's not just one or two years or like a little bit of time. Like four years is a long time to be like, yeah, I'm going to commit myself and make myself get faster and be hopeful that I'm going to win a medal. Mm-hmm. Like, you're still not guaranteed that medal. Like you could go and do that whole process again and not win a medal again. Mm -hmm. And like, you got to find a way to enjoy that process because if you don't, you're going to hate it. And I think that is also key, like a big key component that I think that athletes are missing is where's the fun and how do we find fun in training when you're doing it for years and years and years. And I think like for us, like that last year was fun because we had a good environment. We had a good coach, but it was also very hard because of COVID. We did not go anywhere. We just trained every day. We relied on each other to like pick each other up when we're having bad days. But like there needs to be some sort of separation at some point. Like where is the fun? How do we find enjoyment in this? Because sometimes it's a very dark hole Mm -hmm. of training and it's very hard to get out of. And so, yeah, I think there needs to be a bit more excitement in that training environment to help pull athletes away from that mental health where they're just like doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And they're not getting away from it. Cause I think that's what makes the mental health become Mm -hmm. so poor is because they're just doing the same thing over and over over again. Yeah. And they don't, because they're not doing anything different and nobody seems to really care. And it's like, okay, well, what are we doing to make sure their athletes are not getting in that headspace? So like, you know, do something completely different. Like, you know, the odd time we would like go for a hike or like just sometimes you just need to do something different. And it's not like you guys, you guys all get drug tested. Yeah. So you're not like going and doing psilocybin retreats on the weekends. No. Which actually would be incredibly beneficial. But yeah, you try to explain that to the FDA. (laughs) Yeah. I still can get drug tested. Really? Yeah. And they can take your metal? Um, see, I don't really understand that aspect of it. I know that, no, but like I can get infractions for like, so if I tested positive for something, like I could technically get like a infraction for not being able to compete for X amount of years. I don't think I could like, cause I did drug testing prior to my medal. Yeah. And I, I am trying to think, did I, have I done any since? No, but I still submit everything. Right. So, um, I don't think that they could like strip our medals prior to the Olympics if we tested positive. Or, like, if before the Olympics, yes, but after the Olympics, if it, like, if it was really close, maybe, but 
at this point, no, I don't. Walking off that podium would be lighting a joint. I've already done my job. Leave me alone. Can't touch me now. I've done what you've asked. Fuck all the way off. Well, that's not like as long as you're not in competition, you can do that. Right? But yeah. if you okay. test positive. In the time frame. Yeah. Oh, then, okay. which is what happened to like Shara Riches and the American runner. So. Which was, what's your take on that? I think you know the rules, so play by the rules. Okay. I do understand that, obviously, there was some stuff going on in her situation. So I get that, like, and I know there's, like, a bunch of drama right now because the Russian figure skater tested positive for, like, an actual banned substance. Like a real banned substance? Like something that actually just doesn't put you on the couch and make you eat chips? In December. And so Shara Richardson, like, had tweeted something about being, like, I love how she gets to compete at the Olympics and meanwhile I wasn't allowed to go. Right. And she basically laid it on like, I'm a black woman and that's why that happened. That's and, not why that happened. And I, <laughs> not I am very happened. like, I agree. I don't think that's the reason. Yeah. But also like the girl's 15, you're, I believe, I'm, I'm not sure how old Charlotte that is, but I know she's not 15. <laughs> she's not. Yeah. She's not. A you child. know, like a 15 year old is probably not going out smoking weed a week before. What did she event. test positive for? Um, I can't remember. Okay, you keep talking. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it's, um, it's like some... She was a, an American athlete? No, she's a Russian athlete. Oh, well, Which is well, also... Um, <laughs> a, aren't they banned issue. from the Olympics in general? Yes. Yeah, are. so I mean, are we really that surprised? Mm-mm. I mean, I, I hate saying that, but I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Has yeah. anybody seen Icarus? Has anybody <laughs> yeah, seen Icarus? It's pretty bad. It's so bad. It's not fuck that. It's not like a little bad or like it's kind terrible. of bad. It's like holy hell. Like, like straight up cheating. Like, like <laughs> not just cheating, but the if you if you really look at the extent, if you watch Icarus, like please do number one. Yeah, right? it's very documentary. But it's it's not just interesting. It is it is. Um, what's the word? It's complex and it's like very integrated and it's really thought out and it, the, the planning and just the financial, it's insane how well that had to be done Mm -hmm. to do it on the scale in which they did it. Yeah. It's legitimately like, it's wild. Yeah. So nobody's shocked. I'm going to, I want to know what she got. I want to know. Um, I think her name's like Catalina or something. But yeah, anyways, there's this um, Mm. drama going on between Char Richardson and that whole situation. I do, however, think in the future that, um, I mean, like smoking weed is going to be an acceptable thing. I I do feel like we may get to that point at some point. Um, But at the end of the day, like, you know the rules. Right. And you know the rules because I know the rules. And you get told the rules every single damn year. Right. So like... Don't put yourself in a position where this could even be a thing and then there won't be an issue. Yes, I get that. She got um, the Russian skater, 15-year-old, flawless performance lifter out of the gold medal team. She tested positive for trime, trimat, you read. <laughs> I don't know trimat, what it is. Trimat, word. It's a big word. It's a big girl word. Oh, oh, I stumped you too, right? Yeah. You're the one who's in school. 
Yeah, not for tramazidine or something. Tramazidine, I think. Tramazidine, yeah, tramazidine. So, but it increases heart heart medication that helps with endurance. Increases endurance, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, endurance as a figure skater is incredibly important. So, if you, if number one, if you're 15 years old. And, and why I don't I mean who knows there might be some history behind why she was taking that I don't know there may be no history but at the end of the day I don't think she's just going out and buying that and taking it so someone's giving it to her that she's, she's associated she's 15. with 15 exactly so I do believe that I it's tough to say whether she should be allowed or not allowed but I think whoever is associated to her should be in some serious shit because there should be some questioning happening. there's definitely should be some questioning and i definitely think it's hard it's a very tough situation mm-hmm. but i would yeah i don't i don't know i'm gonna ask you some tough questions now okay number one that was that was the that was the softball because if if can't okay let's just let me finish my thought on this cannabis um in no way, shape, or form does that help your athletic performance. No, absolutely not. Uh, no way, shape, or form. I'm a, I'm a I'm what I guess would be considered a pothead. I, I, I ingest that much medicine for my PTSD. Uh, like that's it's been my it's been my saving grace. Getting off of ten different pharmaceutical medications, cannabis has worked for that. I do use it before I go run because it is um, like a meditative thing for me. I use it before I get on a road bike. Not a lot, but I use enough where I'm like in this very calm zone. It is not something I would use when I would go to compete as a professional athlete. So in, it's it's a trickier one for me because I can mm-hmm. understand cannabis as a medication um, deeply. And, and I understand the the anxiety she must have been going through and all of that. I mm-hmm. respect that trauma. Mm-hmm. What I considered a banned substance should not be a cannabis product, period. There's too much uh, incredible research around healing and the CBD and all of the components there. But I do understand at the time when she tested, yes, it was part of the banned substance list. So I, yeah. I, I agree with that. I don't think, for the record, I do not think cannabis or anybody who uses it should be banned from the Olympics, period. Yeah. At any point. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I get, though, at the time, like, I respect that, but I'm saying moving forward and, and those types of things. But if you're doing, if you're, if you're taking things that I can't pronounce that help with <laughs> yeah. endurance and yeah. help with other, that just also help with heart. Like, yeah. Uh, come on, give, give give me a fucking break here. Yeah. Well, that's why there's the drama between it because she's like, I was smoking weed and you're taking stuff like that. a legitimate. <laughs> yeah. st- like that's why that's where I push back and go, no, you're not wrong on that. Like, no, that you're not wrong on that. You're super fucking wrong and have a track record of that. So there's nothing. There's nothing. I you know I that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the runner? I can't remember her name off the top of my head. She had super high testosterone. Yeah. Uh, Semenya, I think. Is that her name? You're the athlete here. Yeah. Um, I think that is a very tough situation as well. Um, Because that's just genetics, right? That's not... Yeah. That's like, there's not a single goddamn thing she she could have done. Yeah, she has natural testosterone in her body. Um, She's like a she, she, he body so like yeah she's she, got like she's genetically. got both yeah from dna she's got both yeah that's not something that's been um, manipulated or changed no. through the medical that is literally she's born yeah. that way yeah so i um i do think it is okay put it this way a woman's eight 
With a coxswain. Yep. The men's double, two men, go faster. Than a women's eight? Than a woman's eight. That's fucking insane. So. That's insult for a second. That's a significant. Is it really that? Yes. Oh, wow. So when you look at it in terms of that kind of a. Advantage. Advantage. That's a lot. I think, how can you not look at the situation and say, it's unfair? Like, I just think, like, if it, if that, if, like, if it was in our, like, in rowing, particularly, it would be a huge advantage. She should be rowing. Like, she would destroy, like, if she was a woman single scholar, she she would would probably absolutely destroy those women single single scholars. Mm -hmm. So, I can, in a sense, I can... Kind of like that's how I would relate it, and I just think, yeah, like that's it's to me it's it's unfair. It's a completely unfair situation, and I think she was allowed to run when she was taking the medication, and then she said she didn't want to take the medication, but she still wanted to run, and that's where the problem came in. But should somebody have to? But she stopped taking it because she she it was like. Well, first of all, she felt like she was getting slower, I believe, she was on hindering. it. And then also she, like, felt like it was, like, hurting her body. Like, she was, like, didn't feel comfortable taking it. Which is fair. Right. But the advantage that you have is so significant that I think it's it's too unfair of a situation. Okay, riddle me this, Batman. Okay. So why can we have individuals who are transgender compete in women's sports, then? If they're allowed to take other types of things but she was legitimately born that way she has to take something to hinder her because think of it this way if a woman ever tried to take enough testosterone to actually compete in a men's category she would never win okay but she but we can have men come compete it's always men who want to compete in women as women right because they are always have a significant advantage always over women but she was she was born that way though it's not like so yeah and that's fair but if i was i think the thing is like yes you were born that way but you still have like if if you had significant testosterone you would be flagged for rowing too as a woman like i would be flagged like my drug test would come back and i was flagged it would be the same boat for me they would have to do the same thing for me they would say you can't compete Unless you take a Unless you start taking this pharmaceutical drug that makes your testosterone go down. And, like, we've had women on our team that have, like, higher levels of testosterone than normal women. And they are getting tested more often because of it. Because they're trying to make sure... They're just, like, making sure that nothing's going on there. So what did they want? Did they want her to be in in a certain range? Her testosterone number had to be in a certain... What was that number? I have no idea. I think it's, like, 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. And most women are still, like, 1. If I... Like, uh, me personally. I don't even... They test me for testosterone and it doesn't even register. So she would... um, yeah, as you get older, that will, it, like in women, Shift. it yeah. shifts a bit, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I learned about that after we ha- I had a kid. There was this whole conversation about hormones changing and like yeah. everything goes, gets fucking haywire afterwards. Yeah. It's, good t- it's a good time. Your time Sounds is coming. So look forward to that. <laughs> but no, it's interesting though, because I, I just want to know, like, even if she's on that medication, she's still at a significant advantage. Huge. Then. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're asking her to knock it all the way down. They're asking her to 
curb it basically okay so it's not okay so like there's a there was the new zealand weightlifter oh yeah i know that's the one i'm prefacing yeah yeah so but she she didn't win a medal or anything but do you really think that but she I didn't think... win a medal intentionally no i think she... i think nobody's going to the olympics and not trying to win a medal like i but i do think that if she had won a medal do you she... think everyone would have been talking about it absolutely I think it would have went around. I think it would have went huge. I think it wouldn't have went huge. I think it would would have went huge in a bad way. Yeah, I think. It, uh, no, I agree. But yeah. that's why there was. I was, you know, chatting with a few athletes, and they're like, "I wouldn't doubt it." Yes, obviously, everyone wants to go and they mm-hmm. want to win, and, mm-hmm. and but there was that that little bit of you know trepidation of oh, did she attempt to just to go to show face to do it? Yeah, and could have meddled and did chose what is the what is the repercussions of what my life will be like if I do actually medal in, in a female sport? I think like my personal opinion would be that no one would do that. I don't know who. I would like to think that. Yeah. I just don't, I I don't know who, even whether you were transgender or not, I just don't know how you could ever go to the Olympics and not be trying to win a medal and like put yourself behind it. I mean, maybe, but I, I just, I really can't see it. I agree with you. I think that in no way, shape or form, but I also will tell you, the internet is a vicious fucking place yes. and it trolls and it ruins lives in a yeah. matter of seconds. And mm-hmm. I can tell you there is something to that that people don't, I mean, d- the amount of weight and pressure that come, you've, you're yeah. a gold medalist, you've done interviews, you understand the amount of things and people always have something to say. So I, I do wonder, maybe not throwing it, but I do wonder the headspace that that athlete was in going into that event. Um, yeah. First athlete, right? Was that the first time there's been a transgender yeah, athlete? I believe so. That was actually like accept, like an accepted Correct. situation to actually compete. Yeah. But for instance, like I just saw not that long ago, there is a swimmer and an NCAA swimmer that used to be a male and she's transgender and she's racing with females and um, she's breaking all the world records. That's bullshit. That like, bothers me. Like, she I can't tell has you that. literally, like, me. every single record has been broken by her. And now they've gone to basically got to the international body for swimming and been like, we obviously need to reassess yeah. these, like, what the deal is here. Because how they, I mean, I think it was like, it said that she was like a month away from competing at the NCAA championships, like at the championships. And they were like, she's obviously going to win. We and know that. We know that. And like... By like a lot. Yeah. Like she's destroying everybody. So, which is fine, but like there needs to be something put in place because yeah. for her safety, and like mostly for her own, like for her safety, this will because a problem. it's going to become a... Exactly. Well, like, and it's going to... The only person it's really going to affect is going to be her mm-hmm. because if swimming doesn't do something about it and start changing their policy for these things. She's within the rights to go and do that. How can you, how, how is she not allowed to go? Like, Mm -hmm. I truly think like at that level, she should be allowed to compete. And I I think that's fair, but every single athlete that is there competing against her is like, yeah, that's the testosterone thing again. Yeah, it's, it's a reverse situation again. It's, it's no different than there's, there's an MMA fighter who, went in and beat mm-hmm. the living fuck out of a woman and was like, I'm a woman. And we're like, cool. But like, you didn't tell anyone that you did this and you're still transitioned in your thirties, which means you're a grown, you were a grown fucking man before you walked into that division and pummeled a woman. You're yeah. still, you're still, you still have the power. You still have everything that came with growing up for exactly. 30 years as a man. That's fine. If you want to transition, I'm all for it. 
you want me to call you a fucking rainbow? I'll be here for you. I've got you. I support you. And I'm serious. I will support anybody and whatever they want to be and however they want to do it. I have no issues. I am not I that person. Way. But I do struggle when it comes to sport. I do. Because, I've, again, I've been in sport at a high level and I understand Mm-hmm. what that looks like and when the transition change happens with a male and a female and in teenage years when that happens fighting with men afterwards was just not a it's like a hard no yeah for me to go compete in my weight class with a male dude the, the, it's not happening no and i think that's why i i always try to like whenever this kind of topic comes up i always try to switch it and say how many females do you see competing in male categories. Yes. And they don't. Exactly. Because they can't. And if they did, they would their their they bodies would be, there's they wouldn't even be able to get there. Like there's no way they would be able to compete at that level with a male. Like that females. Like they just wouldn't be able to go into the male category. So where is the fine line and how do we accept males right. wanting to compete in the female division? Right. Where they have a significant advantage and how do we get around that? My my thought around that would be, what if it would be the same role reversal, just like the runner? She has to take something that, do you know what I'm saying? Like an acceptable mm-hmm. amount of testosterone, an acceptable amount of, like. But she didn't want to compete. She, I think she could have competed in the men's division. I think that there was a situation, but, she oh, really? but she's nowhere near being able, like her times in comparison to a male's times of what, she's not even like on the ball. Like she, she wouldn't, she could not compete with them. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Oh, they were going to let her though. I don't know for sure. Don't quote me on that. But I feel like even if she wanted to try, like even at her happen. fastest right now, she wouldn't be able to contend with them. So why would she, why would she try? She doesn't want to. Of course she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to go in there and come last. Why would she do that? Right. Because she's at the top of her game in the women's division. So. Exactly. Yeah. So she's not going to go into the men's division and get that one's a that one's a way that one's a way harder. Yes, that one's way tougher for me than people that are actually males that transition to females. Yeah, of course, because that's a choice. This one yeah. was like I was born, and this is just the body I got, and yeah. you know, this is a different thing. But this is like a I was born, I went through life, I decided this is who yeah. I'm going to be, and now this is who I am, and I want the world to respect it. Cool, we respect it. Now I'm going to go into female sport, and I'm going to wipe out every record. That's what was happening in the states with college sport and women trying to get become D1 athletes and things like that. Is mm-hmm. the records and the things like that they were being they were being destroyed. The there's arguments being made on the very on the very strong feminist side of like they are wiping out women's history and then there mm-hmm. then there's the the other side where it's like well we have the right to change our bodies you need to accept us for who, who we are i think they're both right yeah 100 percent. i think yeah, i agree both 100 percent right yeah. i think you should have a choice to do whatever you want with your body and i think we should still be able to go well this is this is clearly wrong yeah there needs to be a middle ground. I, I wish I was intelligent enough to know what that middle ground looks like. Yeah, and I think there needs there needs to be a situation where do they fit in best. Because yeah. inclusion is a huge thing nowadays, and we have to find a way to Absolutely. include them. And I think that is fair, but where is the line, and mm-hmm. where do we have to draw it? And I think um, with the runner, that's where that line is very... Clear cut. Clear cut. Like, mm-hmm. they basically said, you don't take the drugs, you don't compete. Right. She didn't want to take the drugs, so she didn't get to compete. 
okay. And that's all that was with her. Uh, and I think she's still trying to fight, like, well, this is my body. This is where who I am. Like, that's not fair. Right. Uh, and I don't disregard the fact that that is also true. Right. But I think that somebody that has testosterone at high levels and you know, in, in rowing in particular, can do some serious damage to a woman's category. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, two men against eight women. That's what we're talking about. That's astronomical. Like, that's, that's such, insane. That's such a difference that it, it's, you can't fathom that. Yeah. I struggle, when I think about that, and I, I am picturing, like, I'm visualizing it on, that's just, a, that's, in, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not, a, it's not a small Like, our men's four... I believe their world record is about 12 seconds faster than us. Oh my goodness. For four men. So four men against a woman's eight is still 12 seconds. So like when we would do, we would like do race pieces with our men's four, like for training prior mm-hmm. to the Olympics. Cause like we obviously didn't get to race. So like they were like our good training partners for That's like, great for you guys. it was amazing. Like it was great for us, but, um, they would have, we would have an advantage over them whenever we did pieces. So they would give us like a head start and then they would walk through us and still beat us. <laughs> We would start before them and they would chase us down and still pass us I mean, in races. Like that's, that's what I like. Yeah. There's just a reason like in high school that rugby teams don't play with male <laughs> rugby teams. Like exactly. there's a reason that like in MMA, you don't have male versus female. Like there's a reason there's just, yeah. our bodies are different. And, and to say they're not is you're out to goddamn lunch. It's just, yeah. it's just, we're built differently. And that, but that is so okay. Yeah. What's not okay is like the full wiping out of female sport is not <laughs> it's not cool with me and I'll I'll die on that mountain. Yeah. I really really will. I'll die right there and be fine yeah. with it because I, again, when you compete, you understand. Yeah. You know, it, it you can talk outside of the sport, but if if you've never put in the time, you've sacrificed your life, your body, your mental health for something bigger that is just that is that is a team sport, a sport, uh, you're fighting for the country. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're doing those things. Those are, those are so much bigger than just being like, Oh, well, I don't believe that. It's like, well, mm-hmm. do you know why, <laughs> what I've done for this? Yeah. Yeah. It's a different level of sacrifice. So yeah. I, I can appreciate your perspective on that. It's, um, the Olympics is a tricky one. Um, especially, you know, the, nowadays, the, the more we know, the more we learn yeah. about uh, foundations and, and um, organizations and, and how they work. And, you know, the, the thing is, is, there's been a long conversation coming that's needed to come, which has been the mental health one. And it's taken mm-hmm. forever to get here. I feel like it's, it's, it's been here in my space for a long time, but now mm-hmm. we're starting to see it trickle out into, um, into the athlete space and we're, you know, people taking it seriously. And I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for that. I'm hopeful for the future of that. I'm hopeful for the future of sport because of that. I'm really curious to see what the next Olympics looks like for a few different athletes and what that's going to, you know, trend, how that's going to transpire and mm-hmm. really where the lines are going to be drawn. I think that'll, a lot of the things that you and I just like kind of spoke about those, those lines will be drawn in the sand pretty soon. I yeah. would think. Yeah. Um, I want. I'm, I'm I think we're I, yeah, here. We're always evolving, right? Like everything's always evolving. I, I mean, even just like you know, the adding of certain sports in the Olympics and taking some away, right? And, and you know, like we're. I think that's that's always going to be changing. Like there's always going to be ads of different sports, and like I think next the next summer Olympics there's uh, break dancing. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, so I, I need time to digest that. Yeah, but I mean. So be it. I it's mean, a physical, we got skateboarding just... now. Like, sure. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with it. They are sports and they are athletes, like, to a certain extent. So, yeah. 
I, I don't disagree with like snowboarding and you know, I don't listen. I don't, if you have to f- use your body physically to be better at something, go for it, man. Then that should be a sport. <laughs> like, but like, seriously, if you think about, I guess if you think about dancing, I mean, there's top dancers in the world and that mm-hmm. that's the amount of, I mean, yeah, I could see that. I just never thought I'd see a day where certain non-traditional sports would make their way in. And it's, I know they had a BMX racing. My yeah. husband sponsored, uh, my husband's comp- neck race company, Atlas, sponsors some of those racers. Yeah. And I was like, there's BMX racing in the Olympics this year. He's like, yeah. I'm like, never thought I could look at my son and be like, you want a BMX race in the Olympics one day? Yeah. What? But by the time he gets to that point, it might not it be there. It might not be there anymore. Yeah. It might decide yeah. it's no yeah. longer about that. Yeah. Well, so. Where do you see, where do you see sport going with the, um, and the Olympics going with the, integration of technology and all of these new yeah um i think we're gonna see everyone get faster better like even just i think you know rowing we're still breaking records like you know but that's like the technology of the boats like the technology of the equipment we use Mm -hmm. like everything's still always evolving and i think you know the engineering behind everything that's involved in rowing i think we're going to see people get faster and faster and faster. Like, I don't know if there really is a cap. That's crazy. Which is nuts to think. And like, I know for rowing, there's a lot of, cause we're actually one of the only other sports other than, um, wrestling that has a weight category. You guys have a weight category? Yeah. So we oh, have lightweight, we have lightweight athletes and we have heavyweight athletes. We don't have a lot of lightweight athletes and they were actually going to push lightweight athletes away from rowing completely. And then they decided to keep it for the next Olympics. So there is a lot of... What does that mean? So the women have to be under 130 pounds. Okay. And then the men, I think, are lightweight men are under 170 or something like that. So every female in that boat has to be under 130. Yeah. So they have like a weight cap and every single woman has to weigh in prior to their event in the morning. Okay. So I did not know this. Yeah. So there's, there's lightweight rowing... Uh, there's like a lightweight category for rowing. That's so, really interesting um, because you, when you ever think about, when you think about um, weight categories, you're almost always thinking about uh, boxing or yeah. martial art or I didn't, and that brings a whole different dynamic. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea because that's a whole different dynamic when mm-hmm. you bring weight into it. Yeah. And you know what? I think what's crazy about the lightweight event um, is they're all like, obviously like very close. They're all have to be the same weight. And then all the boats are the same weight. So it's really about skill. Right. It becomes very much about skill. Like who is going to be faster than the other person. Whereas like in our category, in the open weight category, it's less about that. But I think we are going to see more lightweight athletes. If they feed out athlete rowing at the Olympics, we are definitely going to see more lightweight athletes and smaller people Mm. in those heavyweight boats. Because those technical people are going to end up in those heavyweight boats, especially if they want to row. That's and really interesting. They could actually be faster than some of those heavyweight people because the reason why they wanted to filter it out is because we used to have a men's four and the men's four lightweight in Rio could have competed in the heavyweight division and placed in the meddling. So that is why they're saying oh. that they want to, that's part of the reason I believe that why they want to negate lightweight rowing is because they're basically saying those people could actually compete in the heavyweight division because like, like I said, a lightweight men's four, mm-hmm. the time that they were going would have been fast enough to actually compete at the heavyweight division in place. So now there's like this, like, why do we have it? 
if it's why not- is it a thing? Mm-hmm. That's kind of why there's like, mm, why are we doing that? I do think. I think it would be sad to see it go, to be honest, because I think it's really exciting racing. Mm-hmm. They're always really close. They're always really like tight. It's always super tight racing. And so I think it is a great aspect of the sport, but I also do think it comes with a lot of issues being a lightweight. I mean, mm-hmm. like we talked about mental health stuff and everything else, body image and everything else. So yeah. I think that's part of the reason why they don't necessarily want to do that. And I can appreciate that because honestly, when you bring weight in, you bring a different dynamic you bring oh yeah it oh my gosh i can remember that i've told this story where i, I had a, a my school reported me uh <laughs> my when i was young i got really? re- my mom my parents got reported um for neglect because i think it was neglect or something i ended up having to go to a pediatrician until i was 18 years old because at one class i i said i they they were bringing around timbits for you americans i think they're called donut holes you know whatever (laughs) um and i they were the class was bringing around and she came around she goes do you want here you go and i was like i can't have it i have to lose weight and i was young i think i was like 12 at the time Mm. But I was already fighting in the national level. So I legitimately was two or three pounds over my weight category. I had mm. to lose weight. And in my mind, from fighting at the age of four and up, I understood that at some point when you hit a certain level, you get into weight classes. It's yeah. It was part of my culture in my life. It was not a weird thing for me. And nor did it ever become a an obsessive. I was very lucky. It never became like a, a an issue for me. Weight was yeah. never an issue for me. But, you know, there was the mornings that I'd wake up and not see a six pack. So I would sit there and do sit ups until I did. But <laughs> I was an obsessive A type personality that, yeah. not, that, you know, so that didn't ever play into me later on down the road. But I do know a lot of people it did and mm-hmm. it affected mental health. It affected long term um, nutrition choices and lack body of image body and... image. And yeah, there's it's a different dynamic. But I had no idea that rowing had a weight class. Yeah, that's so wild. Yeah, learning so many things today. <laughs> I love I love this. This is fantastic. No, it's so important to to talk about this because, again, when you are looking at athletes, you know, there is this perception they, they just go, they compete, and then they're done. But there's a four-year, five-year lifetime lead-up to these, yeah. these sports that requires a lot out of a human being. And I don't know that we fully acknowledge it. And I think it needs to be. Um, personally, I think you guys, again, I've stated this several times. You guys need to be paid a lot more. My God. It's... Uh... Yeah. I, I, you know, I feel, I feel for those... Like, I mean, luckily, I feel like our races are not... I mean, they are cut throughout. They still are. But I do feel you know, like for instance, swimming or like mm-hmm. even the slalom skiing that we're seeing, um, like, you know, like those one, one run. Oh, I know. Like, you know, they, Mm-mm. you know, one minute they're doing one minute races or 40 second sprints in a pool. And like, you don't make the cut, you're done. Like mm-hmm. that is very cutthroat. And I, and I can see why those mental health issues become a big thing. You spend four years and you have one minute to show mm-hmm. what you've been training for the last four years. And if you don't do it right, you're done. And you're an individual and athlete. An, and that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think, wow. Like I couldn't imagine having one run be the difference between me being able to like keep going and not like, that's nuts mm-hmm. to me. And the ages at some of these athletes when they compete. Yeah. yeah. The pressures of that. And, and I know, I think how, I think there was quite a young, athlete that competed in skateboarding this year oh yeah yeah. Or last year yeah. sorry mm-hmm. she was she was very young but i mean the pressures of going to an olympic sport alone but then doing it 
very young and as an individual athlete is a different, mm-hmm. it's a different conversation, but totally, you know, anyway, I digress. I find it all very fascinating and that's why I enjoy talking to people like you. And plus that means I get to have a gold medal on my table. So listen, I win. I've won <laughs> all the way on the pretty side. I know I'm going to take a, I'm going to make sure to take a nice photo of that for everyone to see because you're going to be Jelly Clarkson that I got to hold it. I mean, Again. just get better, get better friends. That's all I can say. So <laughs> just elevate your shit and get better friends. It's what happens. Um, so what do we see next? What's coming next? Mm, I don't know. That's a big, that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. It's a very loaded question. Maybe some babies and maybe some more medals, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you've got the gold one, so you've like done it. Yeah. I think I, that's where I, I need to be able to find enjoyment to be putting that myself back in that situation. Right. And I need to be okay with being in that situation and knowing that at the end of it, I may not have another one of these. I used to got one. I got one, but you can never but guarantee can two. Never two. <laughs> you can't guarantee it. You can do it, but I just, you can't, I think you have to enjoy the process because if you get yourself too wrapped up around the metal situation, then you are, you're going to be done for, for your mindset of Mm -hmm. what has gone on. So, I mean, you don't want to regret it, but I also think like I'm still young enough that I could push to do it and why not try? Right. I mean, you're able-bodied, you're, you're mentally well, Yeah, you're doing your thing, you're healthy. Why not? Yeah. So I think like there is always that that's in my mind, but I think I need to, Take a little bit of a step back and see if that's really what I want or what I don't want. But it's not like I could go four years and then try to go back again. Like that mm-hmm. would be <laughs> way too difficult. So it's like I either do it and go for it right now or it's uh, I walk away being proud and be okay with that. I think either way you decide to go, I mean... Nobody would fault you for it. No, but if I'm not going to Paris as an athlete, I do really want to go as a non-athlete. Okay, well, if you're not going, listen, if you're not going as an athlete, I'll we'll, we'll go together. Out. We'll go together. If you're going as an athlete, I'm still coming. Okay, I'll just be, I'll be in a different bag. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. I mean, you don't want to be like I think there was an Olympic athlete that competed in her 40s in gymnasts or something or 30s. Yeah. That's can you imagine? That's There's actually some rowers that are still. There was like one woman that was in her 40s that was still competing, which is beast. Not. Beast. Yeah. I don't know if they qualified the boat though, so I don't know if they actually went. Like they were, she was still competing at like world championships, but I don't know if she was actually competing at the Olympics. I'd have to look it up. But either way, it's super impressive. <laughs> it's super impressive. Well, where can everyone find you when they want to follow you and make sure that you are? Uh... Yeah, um, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, Love Lisa twenty eight is my handle, and yeah, that's probably the best place to find me. But. Or else find me just like in uh, Rowing Canada News. <laughs> yeah, you're around there. I know I've been seeing. If you click, yeah. go- give your name a good Google. Yeah, I'm doing a Hall of Fame on Friday. And I've already, I'm already inducted into one Hall of Fame. And now I'm going into another one, which is kind of cool. Because so. you're a big deal. <laughs> the sooner you realize yeah. that, the, the better everyone will yeah. be. Yeah, so well, I'll probably be, hopefully be back down in the States to go back to my school. Because I haven't actually, because of COVID, I wasn't able to go back down. Just, it was just too much, so... Um, I'm hopefully going to make it down in the spring to go back down there and hang out with the crew that I was with and stuff. So my coach that I what coached me when I was at Washington state is still there. So, well then you, I mean, you have to, you kind of owe yeah. it to them to yeah. not 
bring your medal and be yeah. like, hello. Show it off. Look yeah. what you can do. <laughs> yeah. You can be me. Just yeah. do it. Just try. <laughs> yeah. I think that's my biggest thing to like athletes or just anyone that doesn't know what they want. Like A, always try new things and B, never doubt that there anything's possible. That's so perfect. <laughs> you, you nailed it. Well, I... I think you're right, um, and I think more people need to live by that. And if they did, we would have, we would have some great humans walking around like you. So, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you, you for coming on. And I'm sure well, this won't be the last time. No, so. definitely not. I'll be back. Yeah, you will. I'll Otherwise, everyone, um, thanks for listening. We will see you all next week. <laughs>